0: scriptures. I need to be reminded of that, that God's not done with us. Uh, He's going to bring uh, to pass His work, His promises, perfect that which concerns me. He's not going to withhold anything good that is for me. And uh, He is righteous and true. And so I need to be reminded of that. And especially this time of year, I can feel kind of yuck and down and uh, discouraged a little bit, uh, maybe you can feel that way. It's it's the gray skies, it's cold weather, it's uh, being inside. But we have the Lord, and on Sunday we're going to finish Matthew, and we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we're all familiar with. But that's where our hope is is a living hope that comes through an empty tomb, Jesus conquering sin and death for us. And as we read Zechariah, Zechariah has some of the most amazing prophecies concerning the Messiah, the coming of Messiah, the the reign of Christ, uh, what's going to happen, and those things are going to come to pass. So we got a glorious future, uh, and he has things for us to do. And uh, we're going to talk about that as we get into our study today. So I want to encourage you. uh, It's so wonderful to be in the Scriptures, to be blessed in the Scriptures in this way as we look at it. We've gone through the first six chapters of Zechariah, where he had eight visions. And some scholars believe that Zechariah had these visions all in one night. And uh, as we looked at those visions, the one that stands out to me most of all. Uh, there's two of them. Matter of fact, when Joshua was standing in chapter three before the Lord, and the Lord said, "Take those those garments off." of Joshua, the high priest would have the beautiful garments on, and and those filthy garments. And any of us standing before the Lord, it, it's an illustration of what the Bible declares to us that our righteousness is is as filthy rags before the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah says. And then put on clean garments. And we're robed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did in going to the cross and rising from the grave. And that's such a glorious truth as we are... Clean, we have clean robes, the righteous robes of Jesus Christ, because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then the other one is in chapter four, where Zerubbabel was told by Zechariah, the hands that started the temple are going to be the hands that finished the temple. And to remind us that Zechariah here, this is post. Uh, captivity, Babylonian captivity. They have come back, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi are all three books uh, that are post captivity. And Haggai came back and they had begun to build the temple there in Jerusalem by the orders of Cyrus, the king of, of Persia. And they came back, they built the foundation of the temple, didn't the work stop for a number of years. So Haggai comes on the scene about the time Zechariah here is prophesying, and we know that it is Haggai that told the people to consider your ways. Get back to doing the work of the Lord. You, you've, you turn inwardly, you're building your own homes, you, you're only concerned about uh, doing your the things that you want to do, uh, opulent houses, and you've forgotten about the work of the Lord. And it's such a powerful message for us because as we find ourselves in post, trying to get through post-COVID two years of all these things that we dealt with, I pray that it declines and we hear the news that it's beginning to decline and we can get through this pandemic. But the Lord has work for us to do. He always has work for us to do. And I know that it's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. It's hard for all of us, and I'm so sorry for the things that you've gone through in dealing with sickness. Some of you have even dealt with death um, as uh, you've lost loved ones to COVID or from another sickness. Uh, things have changed. The world is different, and uh, economically, perhaps uh, in other ways, with your job and with relationships and things like that. But the Lord has a plan. And the Lord is still calling us to do his work, and I pray that that's an encouragement to you, uh, because he's got a glorious plan that's going to unfold, and we'll talk about some of that as we get into our text here. So Father, we ask that you would just bless this time as we study Zechariah, who wrote these things down uh, 2,500 years ago, and they are for us, Uh, they are for us today, and Uh, Lord, I thank you that we can look at these words, and we can be encouraged, we can be blessed, and we can be instructed. So touch our hearts, and Lord, stir our hearts, Uh, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So chapter 7, after those eight visions that we saw, and then chapter 6 ended with uh, this crown of Joshua, but it speaks of the Messiah that would come, the man whose name is the branch, B-R-A-N-C-H, which is a title of Messiah, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. I believe it's a reference to the millennial temple that Jesus will come back and when he comes back to establish his kingdom. And as we move into chapter 7, we read that now in the fourth year, King Darius came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev. And when the people sent Zerazer with Regim, Malak and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord. Verse 3 we read, And to ask the priests who are in the house of the Lord of hosts, and the prophets saying, Should I uh, weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? So this message is given, In the date of it is about 518 B.C., and it's in response to a delegation of men who come from Bethel, as we read this, to Jerusalem with a question about fasting. And this, at this point, the temple, the construction has continued after the instructions of Haggai. They've gotten back to the work of the Lord, and it's about halfway completed. Remember that the second temple ended up being a magnificent building in the time of Jesus. But when Zerubbabel completes the temple here uh, 500 years before Jesus comes on the scene, that it was a very modest building. And the Lord honored it, and they would finish it in about 515 B.C., so about three years left in building of the temple. But their question was, should they continue to fast and mourn on the fifth month as they did while they were in Babylon? Now, as you look at the Old Testament, the only fast that is in the Word of God was given to them was a fast on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. And this fast that they're asking about, when they went into captivity, we're going to read in this chapter how there was a number of fasts that they would uh, observe and should they continue to do that. This fast that is mentioned here was to remember the destruction of the temple. It was Nebuchadnezzar that came in in 586 B.C., and he destroyed Jerusalem, and he destroyed the temple, And so this was the fast to remember that. And here as it is told to us that this delegation uh, to the house of God to pray before the Lord, they come from Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. It was a very special place. You can go back to Genesis chapter 28 where Jacob was running from his brother and he pulls up a rock to, to sleep and he has this vision of angels ascending and descending from a ladder. And the Lord reiterated the covenant that he had made with his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. That that I am going to make you a great nation. And of course Jacob was the father of the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so as the covenant passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and then to the patriarchs of a great nation, the nation of Israel, God's people, the Jewish people, that it was Jacob that realized that God had spoken to him, and he called that place Bethel, the, the the house of God. And it ended up, as we have talked about in our Old Testament studies, that Bethel ended up being a place of idol worship. It was when the ten northern tribes broke away from Judah after the reign of Solomon that they built a a temple dedicated to the golden calf up in the northern part of the country, Dan, and then in Bethel. And Bethel became a house of idols, as we have seen. And it was very tragic. So here they come. This is post-captivity. They come, and they're asking about the fast. And With the people back in the land, do we continue this fast? When we get to the next chapter, we're going to see that three more fasts were instituted while in captivity. But let's continue reading here. And then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? That's what the Lord is asking. Did you really do it for me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Uh, should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous in the south and the lowlands were inhabited. So here the Lord, you know, given an answer through uh, Zechariah, and he speaks not only about the fast of the fifth of the month, but also on the seventh, which they did in commemorating, um, you know, the destruction of the temple. And then on the seventh of the month, the murder of Gedaliah. Now, who was Gedaliah? Gedaliah, if you recall back to our Jeremiah study, after the destruction of uh, Jerusalem, that we know that Gedaliah was set up as the governor. Uh, As the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed, Jeremiah was in the land, you can read about that, and Gedaliah told the Jews that were remaining there, Jeremiah and some of the others, that just live in peace and everything will be okay. Some were left behind, to work the land. And as uh, that was the instruction of Gedaliah, the new governor, then all of a sudden he was killed by Ishmael and 80 others. And it set off a, a series of events that would lead Jeremiah going to Egypt with them uh, as they would flee and uh, when they were told by the Lord not to do that. Not to flee, stay there in Judah, you'll live in peace, everything will be okay. But they ended up fleeing, they ended up uh, under the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar and being destroyed uh, as those who fled to Egypt, they thought they would be safe. There are times when we feel like that we should flee to Egypt, when the Lord says, no, I want you to trust me, I want you to stay where you are, and, and I want you to be established in my word. And I want you to rest in my promises, but we'll flee to the world. And we think that's the best option. And that's what they did is you read those chapters there uh, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 41. And it ends up just uh, the consequences can be very dire and very serious. Um, and that's what happened. So here they used to commemorate that. And they're being rebuked here really by the Lord because the Lord, he knew their hearts. And he says, when you are fasting, were you really fasting for me? Uh, when you were drinking, weren't, weren't you just drinking it for yourselves? You're doing these things for yourself. You, you have activity, religious activity, but you're not really seeking me. And what can happen is, is that we can have religious activity but we leave the Lord out of it. Uh, we can do that with even coming to church. Well, I'll come to church because my spouse is bugging me to come to church, and that'll keep her happy or him happy and, and for the rest of the week. But there's activity, but there's not a heart towards the Lord. And I pray that every day when we pray, when we seek him, Um, when we come to church and when we gather with believers that we do it because we have a devotion to the Lord. And we don't want to mistake that thinking that the activity that we do, fasting or going to church or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, is that in and of itself is going to please God. We might feel better, but are we doing it for ourselves? Are we doing it for the Lord? Or are we just going through you know, the emotions, and it's really meaningless to the Lord. So when we fast, for example, we are to deny the flesh, so what? So we can focus on him and we can seek him. We don't have the, the, the flesh that is uh, involved in, in hearing from the Lord. I'm fasting, Lord, because I want to draw close to you. I'm not just fasting just to fast and and do some religious activity. So the Lord's calling them really to examine their hearts. And let's continue looking at this because it's such an important word for us. In verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother, Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. So you don't want to do what your fathers did before in disobedience. It's interesting here, the warning that the Lord is giving. Now you remember as we went through those books of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, that they would tell the condition of the nation, both the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and they would be indicted because they were ripping people off. They didn't care about the widow. They, there was violence in the land. Uh, they were taking people's inheritance. There was a lot that was wrong uh, that was going on in the land. And the Lord says, don't do what your fathers did. Um, when your relationship with God is not right, you will not treat others the way that you should treat others. And that is true today. Uh, the way for us to treat others right before the Lord is for our relationship to be right with the Lord. And as our relationship was right with the Lord, then we're going to take on the commandment of that we are to love others. And that's the great commandment that we have of the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples right before he was crucified, that they will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. Uh, to love others and to care for others in need. Uh, the, the widow, the fatherless, the poor, the alien. And we need to remember that. Don't have evil plans against your brother, ripping your brothers off like your fathers did. And then in verse 11, but they refused to heed. Shrugged, shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. They didn't want to take the, on that commandment. They refused to listen to the Lord, and they turned their hearts um, from the Lord. And yes, they made their hearts like flint, as he talks about the condition of the heart, refusing to hear the law law and the words of which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. And therefore, verse 13, it happened that just as he proclaimed, then they would not hear. So they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known, and thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land. Desolate. So as we finish the chapter here, they ended up going off into captivity. There were serious consequences. But here's the thing to remember, that the Lord is telling them it's better to obey than to just go through the religious activity and go through the fasting and all of that. You might recall in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when it was Saul the king that was told by Samuel the prophet, the Lord says, go and destroy all the Amalekites. And it was Saul that that went, and he destroyed most of the uh, Amalekites. But he brings back Agai, the king of the Amalekites, and he brings back the best of the sheep and the oxen. The Lord told him to destroy all the Amalekites, all their oxen, sheep, everything. Nothing is to be left. But Saul didn't do it, and he comes back. There's a great celebration. He had stopped at Mount Carmel to set up an image and uh, kind of a, a memorial for himself. honor himself. I'm such a great king and all of this. And he comes back and Samuel said, you didn't obey. Uh, As Saul came back and celebrating, bringing back Agai and the best of the sheep and the oxen. And he said, I performed all that the Lord told me to perform. And Samuel said, really, then who's this guy, Agai? And why do I hear the sound of sheep bond in my ears? You did not obey. And he goes on and he says to Saul that it's better to obey than a sacrifice. And the kingdom has been taken from you, Saul, and is going to be given to another. And, of course, the next chapter you see that it was Samuel that would go to the house of Jesse to anoint David as the new king, as David had a heart after God. He wants our heart. He does, want just, he does not want just religious activity. Well, I, I did this, I, I, we can even go through the motions uh, of prayer and go through the motions of Bible study. Well, I read a chapter, but are you really seeking the Lord? Is our heart right towards the Lord? And it's important for us to remember that, that that's what he wants more than anything is our hearts. And then he wants us, of course, to, to seek him as we fast. Uh, Jesus said, when you fast. Uh, we know that he wants us to pray. He wants us to read his word. He wants us to treat others right. But it's because our relationship with him is right and desiring to please him with their life. So chapter 8, again in the word of the Lord, the host came saying, as we read, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great faith, Uh, fervor. I am zealous for her. So as we go into chapter 8, we see here that we have the prophecies and it speaks of, it's such a wonderful chapter of the future of Jerusalem. Remember that they're in Jerusalem. At this time, even though they're rebuilding the temple to Jerusalem laid in rubble, it would be Nehemiah that would come along uh, about 80 years later in 445 B.C. to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Nehemiah, as he hears that Jerusalem's still in rubble, and as they're rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, they said that the rubble is... is Is just too much, and this is too difficult. So Jerusalem's still laid in rubble, and they're rebuilding it. It's a slow process. They're rebuilding the temple here. That was to be the priority. And here we see that the prophecies are going to be given about the future restoration of Israel and of Jerusalem, the holy city. And it's going to um, be an encouragement to them. They needed to be encouraged, just as Even as Travis encouraged us that God's not done with us. And even as we read the word, God's not done with us. He's still building. He's still working. He's still bringing his promises to pass for us. So he is saying that his passionate love for Israel has not diminished here. And through all their rebellion, their unfaithfulness, he is still faithful to them. And he still loves them and is zealous for them. And he's going to restore them. And God is zealous for us. And he's going to be faithful to us. And and I'm so thankful for that. We continue reading in verse 3. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. And dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women should again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with a staff in his hand, because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the street. I love that. So this is not speaking of today, because uh, you know, it's speaking of uh, the millennium reign, When the Lord comes, he's going to return to Zion and dwell in their midst. He's going to dwell in the temple. Ezekiel says that the, the temple is going to be full of the glory of the Lord, and the glory of the Lord's going to fill the earth, and righteousness will fill the earth as waters cover the sea. And Jerusalem's going to be this incredible place, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. That's where the temple is going to be sitting on a temple, Mount Zion there. And the old men and women shall sit in the streets of Jerusalem. And the Will be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. You know, today you have when you go to Israel, you can go to the old city and the kids, you'll see them and and uh, they're playing. And but the thing is, is that Jerusalem is divided, and there is great tension in Jerusalem, and you have to be careful. And there's a lot of security and things like that. This is speaking of another time. Um, children playing. Um, and, and full of, you know, uh, the streets of children playing, boys and girls. I like that because our streets, as we think about where we live, are not safe. They're not as safe as when I was a kid uh, 50 years ago playing in the streets. We have to be careful, and we have to watch, and it's just a different day. And this is speaking of a time when it's just going to be glorious, and it's going to be peace and Uh, The old men and women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, I can't wait for that day. And thus says the Lord of hosts, it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of the people in these days. Will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts? The Lord is saying, this is going to be great too. It's marvelous in your eyes. It's marvelous in my eyes. It brings delight to the Lord that he's going to establish his kingdom and bring peace. In verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. So here we see that the Jews today are coming back into the land. We've talked about this. And Ezekiel talks about how they're going to be coming back, uh, the division of dry bones in, in chapters 36 and 37, how they'll inhabit the old cities again and rebuild them and plant the land. And we see a partial fulfillment of that, but we will see a complete fulfillment of that when the Lord comes back and they will recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. And it's just a glorious thing that is being talked about here. They shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people. And the Lord is saying, I will bring this to pass. And I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Now, right now, that's not the case. But times wanna come when uh, the restoration of Israel is going to happen and their eyes will be opened. Jesus himself said that as he wept over Jerusalem in his final days before he's crucified, that, old Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I, I long to gather you as uh, a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing to come. The ones who killed us and stoned the prophets, and, and you were not willing to come, and you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right, right now your house is left to you desolate. And the time's going to come as they'll cry out to the Lord, and Paul says in that day in Romans chapter 11, they shall be saved. And Zechariah is going to speak about that time as the city falls into, half of it into captivity. And it looks like they're going down. And then the Lord's going to come and rescue them at the end of the tribulation period. So it's a glorious thing that we see here. And it will be a marvelous thing in the eyes of the people of the Lord. It's a marvelous thing when the Lord works in our lives, isn't it? And know that he's working. So some had come back from Babylon And there's going to be a great gathering, though, as they would come back from the captivity. Some have come back from being out of the land for 2,000 years uh, after the destruction of the second temple in 70 A.D. But this is going to be a fulfillment is when they will come back when the Lord comes back. Mm -hmm. Thus says the Lord of hosts in verse 9, Let your hands be strong, you who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day The foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts at the temple might be built. So God is encouraging his people not to lose hope. Continue with the building of the temple, doing the work of the Lord. We shouldn't lose hope in discouraging times, but continue with him. And it has been discouraging times in, in different ways. We see what's going on around us. You know, you wake up like this mor- morning when you wake up, you see the tensions that are being talked about with with Russia and Ukraine and Russia, possible invasion. You hear about now that China is threatening Taiwan, that some believe that China sometime this year is going to invade Taiwan after the Olympics. That starts uh, tomorrow, I believe. Uh, there is uh, tension in the Middle East, uh, economic tension. There's all this upheaval, the pandemic we're still dealing with, all these things that we see around us, but we can't lose hope, and no pandemic or war or Persecution is happening; is going to stop the gospel from going forth. And God is still building the temple. He's He's growing you and me because we are the temple of God. But listen, He's still building a temple right now. It's a living temple, as Peter would write in First Peter chapter two, where living stones being put together. It's greater than any building that was you know constructed. The first temple, Solomon's temple, the second temple, Zerubbabel's temple. Uh, it, it's a living temple for 2,000 years. And the Lord has a work for us to do in, even in discouraging times to continue doing that work. And I have to be encouraged in that. And, and I want to encourage you in that. Let's keep moving forward. Let's do the work of the Lord. Let's consider our ways. Let's not quit. Let's not just pull back. Let's not just uh, put it in cruise control. But, Lord, you have a work for us to do. You have a work for me to do in building the temple and building the kingdom of God. And he has something for all of us to do. And for before these days, verse 10, there was no wages for men nor any hire for beasts. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. For I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. As we read this, um, we know that they were going through a hard time. And they had stopped uh, doing the work of the Lord, but now they're getting back to it. But now I will treat of the remnant of this people as of former day, says the Lord of hosts, verse 11. For the seed shall be prosperous, and the vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah, and house of Israel... So I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. So he's going to bring all his people back. And God is saying that I'll be true to my word, that I told you, um, and it will be a blessing. There will be a time of prosperity. And that's the thing. He says, I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Don't fear. Let your hands be strong. It's going to happen. And we can trust in the Lord's promises. And we can trust that the promise that he's given Israel and to Judah, that I'll bring you back into the land. I'm going to restore you once again. That's why I don't buy into the replacement theology or God is through with Israel. Paul puts that to the rest in the book of Romans. He says, has God cast away his people? He says, certainly not. And he talks about the future that, uh, that God has for them. And all these chapters and verses that we have in the Old Testament that we've seen in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and you also, we're going to see that in Daniel when we start Daniel in a couple of weeks. All these promises, Zechariah and the minor prophets that we have seen, are going to come to pass. They're going to come to pass, just as God said. And we can know that as well. Notice in verse 16 that we are we are to speak the truth. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Don't think evil in your heart against your neighbor. Remember that uh, they were, again, uh, how he... Earlier in chapter 7, it uh, was speaking to them about don't oppress the widow, the father, the alien, the poor. Uh, you are to treat others in a righteous way, in a good way that is pleasing to the Lord. In verse 18, then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. Uh, we now see the, the four fasts that they made while they're in captivity in Babylon. The fast of the fourth month was remembering when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians breached the wall of the city in Jerusalem. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 3 and 4, and Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 2. The fast of the fifth month was in remembrance of the Babylonians burning the city and the temple to the ground. That's 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 8 through 10. The fast of the seventh month, again, as I've already mentioned, commemorated the murder of Gedaliah, who was the governor of Judah after the fall of Jerusalem. 2 Kings chapter 25, and then Jeremiah chapter 41, verse 2. And the fast of the tenth month. Commemorate the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Second Kings chapter twenty-five, verses one and two, and Jeremiah chapter thirty-nine, verse one. Now these fasts should, shall be joy and gladness for what I am doing. Nothing wrong with fasting, but some today will do it just to try to gain God's favor, as we've talked about. We fast because we have God's favor. Will you remember that? We pray because we have a relationship with the Father. And he invites us to come to him. And we can say, oh, Father. When the disciples came and asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he said, pray in this manner, Father, you know, Father, who art in heaven. It speaks of relationship. And that would just really anger the religious leaders. When Jesus came along, they reverenced the name of God so much that they wouldn't even speak it. And Jesus comes along and says, I've been sent by my Father. I do the will of my Father. And I do nothing apart from my Father. And that just really made them mad. And then the disciples said, teach us to pray. You pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We hallow your name. We reverence your name. But we have relationship with you. We pray because we have relationship. We go to him and we believe in him. And we have that, that relationship that he is so pleasing of because he loves us. You have my favor, so rejoice. Um, They were fasting to remember a tragic day, and now God's promises and blessings were wonderful that they should be rejoicing in that. Uh, They should be rejoicing in that. And then in verse 20, we read, that thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. Inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts, I myself will go also. Yes, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. So again, the people will go to Jerusalem from all over the world because they know that God is with them. And then verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from every language of the nation shall gasp, at the sleeve of the Jewish man saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That's such a, a wonderful picture is the people, the nations, and he's Zechariah is going to speak more about that when we get into to uh, the end of the book about how the nations are going to come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And then in chapter 9, as uh, he talks about judgment against Uh, The enemies of Israel, chapter 9, the burden of the Lord, uh, word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach and Damascus is resting place for the eyes of men and for the tribes of Israel are on the Lord and against Hamath, which borders on it and against Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. Verse 3 For Tyre built herself a tower, heaped up silver like the dust, and gold like the mire of streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out. He will destroy her power in the sea, and she will be devoured by fire. So, judgment against the cities of Lebanon, the burden against the land of Hadrach, would be fulfilled by the armies of Alexander the Great when he conquered this region of Israel. It comes about 200 years after this prophecy is given, and he would conquer Syria in the area of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre up north, we talked about Tyre and Sidon, up in what is today Lebanon, and it was a prosperous city. And when Nebuchadnezzar came in, uh, he laid siege of the city for a number of years. And when they broke through the walls, uh, they uh, realized that no one was there. What had happened was, is that they took their boats, they they moved out to an island that was offshore, and there they rebuilt the city. Ezekiel chapter twenty-six verses seven through eleven speak of that. So there was no spoils for the Babylonians. Well after Babylon, Medo-Persian Empire, then Alexander the Great came through and he built a causeway out to that island to get to the city using the rubble from the old city. And he would take the city just as Ezekiel chapter 26 declares. And and then that causeway that they built is used today to cast fishing nets um, as prophesied by Ezekiel. And then in verse 5, Ascalon, is this is speaking of uh, the area where the Philistines were, shall see it in fear. Gaza also shall be very sorrowful, and Ekron, for he dried up their expectation. And the king shall perish from Gaza, and Ascalon shall not be inhabited. A mixed race shall settle in Ashdod. I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take away the blood from his mouth and the abominations from between his teeth. But he who remains, even he shall be... For our God, and she'll be like a leader in Judah, and Ekron like a Jebusite. Interesting verses. So Alexander the Great would come against the Philistine cities on the coast, coming into south of Tyre and Sidon. Now remember the Jebusites, it's mentioned here as we just read in verse 7. And they were in, inhabited where Jerusalem was. David conquered that uh, area, conquered them in Second Samuel chapter 5. David did not wipe out the Jebusites, but incorporated them into the land. The same thing would happen with the people of Ekron. So as we continue reading, I will camp around my house, verse 8, because of the army, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them, for now I have seen with my eyes... God promised to protect Jerusalem during this time that Alexander the Great marched through the city, um, and the city, the temple would not be destroyed. Matter of fact, Josephus records that the high priest came out to meet Alexander the Great and said, "Hey, that you've been prophesied. Show them the the uh, you know Book of Daniel, and and uh, it, God spoke that you would come through, and so He spared the city." In verse nine, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shadow daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly riding on a donkey. And, of course, this is fulfilled by Jesus in the triumphal entry of Jesus. Uh, as he came into Jerusalem riding uh, on the back of a, a fold, a donkey, a colt, and the people are waving the palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and, and throwing down their clothes on the road. And it was the time that Jesus would accept public worship as Messiah. And they were expecting the kingdom of God to come at that time. And we know it's a fulfillment of what we will see in Daniel chapter 9, which is an incredible prophecy of the day that Jesus would come into the triumphal entry. And then in verse 10, And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off, and I shall speak peace from the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of of the earth. And so the Prince of Peace is going to bring lasting peace. Listen, there is going to be no peace in this world until the Prince of Peace comes. And we can applaud those who are trying to make peace and peace treaties. We pray for peace. But there is not going to be any peace until Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, comes back to rule and reign. And in that, Zechariah speaks how God will save his people, verse 11. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Remember Jeremiah was thrown into the pit? Remember from the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword. Of mighty men. So the Lord is our stronghold, and he will eventually restore all of Israel. And I think verse 13 some have said, I have bent Judah, my bow, bow of Ephraim, against your sons, O Greece. That this is a prophecy concerning Antiochus Epiphanes that came into Jerusalem. And we will talk again about that specifically in our Daniel study. And that the Bean brothers would revolt against him and drive him out of the city. And that was in about 165 BC, I believe, uh, about that time frame. And again, we'll be looking at that most specifically But let's finish our study tonight. Let's finish the chapter, chapter 9. Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and war us with wine, and shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewels of a crown, like lifted like a banner over his land. For how great is its goodness and how great is its beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive and the new wine of the young women. So God says that he will, um, as we see here, that he will save his people and uh, he will bring it to pass. As Father, we thank you so much for this Bible study and for these encouraging words we know that you have saved us. You're going to bring us to be with you. We have a glorious future. We're going to rule and reign with you, even as we sing that new song in the book of Revelation, standing before the throne of God. And, Lord, we will be with you in a new heaven, and new Jerusalem. And that will come to pass. So just encourage us and bless us. There's still a temple that is being built. That is the church and living stones that are being brought together. So we want to be a part of that work, even in discouraging times when it feels like the rubble's all around us of what we see going on in in our nation, in our own personal lives, and it can be overwhelming, and it can be hard, and we can be troubled in our hearts, but we can know that you're going to be faithful. So Lord, just help us to keep our focus on you and rest in your promises and knowing that you are faithful. I pray you bless everyone here the rest of our week that keep us safe from the bitter cold. And uh, as we are looking forward to finishing Sunday here in Matthew, gathering once again, taking of communion, um, what a glorious opportunity that we have in looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So just bless everyone here. May we all get a good night's rest tonight and be blessed this week. Just help us and guide us and, and And just be with us in all our needs, and Lord, because you are everything that we need. And you provide what we need so we can look to you in every way and every day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.